on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the religious leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have also believed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider this scene, this story, uh, we pray for insight and understanding on who you are and who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a week had passed since the resurrection, since that uh, morning when the women, including the two Marys, had gone to anoint Jesus, but found the tomb empty. Uh, It had been a week since the two men had walked with uh, Jesus, which we talked about last week, and you can catch up on adventhope.org. It had been a week since uh, Jesus himself had first visited with the disciples. Uh, But one of those disciples, one of those 12, the core team, hadn't been there for any of that. And when the other disciples tried to explain to him uh, that they had seen Jesus and that he was indeed alive, he wouldn't believe it, couldn't believe it. Now, uh, if, if I'm honest, maybe if we're honest, uh, we can probably resonate with this man, this man named uh, Thomas. Uh, at one time or the other, you too have uh, probably said something like, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into the side, I will not uh, believe. Thomas wasn't being uh, stubborn. He wasn't expecting uh, too much. He wasn't trying to be difficult. He just couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that a dead man who had been in the grave for parts of three days uh, would now be walking around again. And not just any dead man, but uh, the man... Uh, who claimed so much. So, like Thomas, it's challenging to believe in the story of Jesus without Jesus appearing to us himself. So as we uh, think about this story, we think about this narrative, 
we have to ask ourselves, why is this so? Why is this so hard? Why do we need the, the appearance of Jesus in our experience to really grasp uh, what's going on with the resurrection? I think there are a couple of pretty obvious an- answers to that question. First of all, uh, the idea of resurrection is uh, outlandish. Uh, keeping in mind that the resurrection, as we've been talking about for the last several weeks during this Easter season, is the core of uh, the belief that is uh, Christianity. I mean, without the re- resurrection, there is no hope, according to the Apostle Paul. The resurrection is the core, and yet the resurrection is absolutely uh, outlandish. Uh, Jesus uh, coming back from the dead. You know, I mean, we have stories, medical stories of people who, you know, are on the operating table or in the emergency room, and they will um, technically die for a couple of minutes. Sometimes it seems like maybe even a longer period of time. But three days, Jesus was uh, in the grave, uh, dead. There was no question. This wasn't a, uh, a medical a miracle of someone who hadn't been breathing for some, uh, for some time coming back. This was a man who was dead who was buried, who was put in the grave, and is now back to life. The idea of this is, is outlandish. And it's important for us to, to recognize this as we are thoughtful about, wow, what, what is going on in this man, uh, Thomas, and his, and his doubt. You know, un, un, unfortunately, Thomas, you know, you, sometimes you get a nickname, and um, you might not be happy about that. I would imagine that Thomas probably not so excited about his nickname uh, that would then live with him for the rest of his life and be, and be uh, cemented in the, in the annals of the biblical story, Doubting uh, Thomas. And we think of that uh, Doubting Thomas in such a pejorative uh, fashion, and yet the reality is what he was called to believe in was outlandish. A man come back from the dead after three days. And secondly, as we think about uh, why seeing the resurrected Jesus, experiencing the resurrected Jesus was so important for Thomas and so important for us, that the implications of resurrection are so, so very vast. I mean, if Jesus really came back from the dead, uh, the implications are immense. First of all, all of the things that he had talked about and promised now suddenly became, come, have the potential for reality. And he said so many things, so many dramatic things, made so many uh, promises that seemed to end when he died. But now he's back to life? I mean, if, if death cannot stop him, what can stop him? The implications of the resurrection were and are incredibly immense. And finally, we need the experience of the resurrected Jesus to help us to grasp this idea of resurrection because we are innately uh, skeptical as human beings, as the human uh, race. We are skeptical certainly of things that we don't understand. If you don't understand something, it's in our nature to be skeptical and that that skepticism actually has done us great good. Skepticism uh, allows us and encourages us to, to investigate, to turn on our minds, to turn on our brains and, 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 and try to learn. We're innately skeptical of things that we don't understand and that has led to great good in this world that we want to find out, we want to investigate, we want to be involved in the sciences, we want to learn what's, what's going on. God has given us these incredible brains and, and, and it can really be hard to embrace something that we don't understand, and so we push to learn and, and, and engage 
And yet this, this skepticism can make the things that we don't understand very, very hard to embrace. And so the presence of the risen Jesus was needed by Thomas, but that presence is needed for us too. And so we recognize the, the validity of Thomas's uh, doubt because that doubt heightened Thomas's experience. It certainly uh, had uh, helped his mind to be turned on to try to grasp what was going on with this uh, man who was dead and now is back to life again. And so as we're thoughtful about the implications of this and Thomas's own need to experience Jesus for himself, we also recognize that there are some really important things that we can learn about doubt from this story. Uh, first of all, we learn that Jesus isn't afraid of doubt. Jesus is not afraid of uh, our doubt. You know, I was, um, some of you know, I was at a, a conference last week in Michigan, in rainy, 40-degree Michigan, while you were here in 75 gloriousness, and you all sent me pictures at the park, and I cried a little bit, and then I came back to, to New York, and it was cold here by the time I got back. So I, I missed the whole thing. Anyway, I was at a, I was at a conference at, at Andrews, and they, the conference was kind of Adventist church leaders and, and seminarians, and I was one of the guests there, and we were talking about uh, millennials in the, in the church. And, and some of you know, not all of our millennials, but some of you know that we, we kind of gathered together a couple of weeks ago because I just needed to hear from our millennials. I'm not a millennial um, so I needed to hear from, from the millennials, and our millennials here gave me some like, really uh, great and important information that I was able to share there. But one of the things that came out in this discussion, and actually in all the research that's been done with millennials, but it's not just a millennial issue, and that is that the church, Adventist church, Christian church, whatever, has not always done great when it comes to people's doubts. In fact, the church gets very nervous when it hears that people have uh, doubts. And so our millennials in particular said, you know, the church is not always a great place to have questions uh, because sometimes you go with questions and uh, the church just doesn't want to hear them, especially if they're questions of doubt or questions that are going to uh, challenge the status quo. And so it's really interesting to me that uh, while the church sometimes is, in, is scared of doubt, Jesus is not afraid of doubt. In fact, Jesus embraces uh, Thomas' uh, doubt. He doesn't scold him. He meets him. Uh, Jesus wants to meet us in our doubts. That's something we learn from this, this story. And so today, if you're, if you're experiencing doubt, maybe you're in a crisis of faith, maybe you're not sure about everything, hey, take heart. There's good news. Jesus embraces our doubt, and Jesus is not afraid of our doubt. Sometimes people of, of faith, they get afraid of a doubt, but Jesus is not afraid of our doubt. In fact, and I find this maybe the most interesting element of this entire story, uh, you know, I, we, we already reviewed it, we read the text, Thomas wasn't there on the night of the resurrection day, on the night of the resurrection. He wasn't there. We don't know, we don't know where he was, he was gone. He wasn't, all the other disciples were there, nowhere to be found was a Thomas. So Jesus comes mysteriously come, the text points this out in both cases, the doors are locked, they're hiding, and Jesus mysteriously comes into to the room. There was no way for him to get in other than, you know, Star Trek, you know, beam-in style. And so he's there in the room, and they all meet him, but there's Thomas is nowhere to be found, and so Jesus leaves, and so Thomas comes, and he's like, 
what's going on? And they're like, you're not going to believe this. And he was like, yeah, you, I don't believe it. He said, you're, you're not going to believe this, but Jesus was here. And, and, and this is where Thomas uh, gets, gets his, his nickname. He doubts. No, no, it's, it's impossible. I will not believe this. Now, now, if I'm Jesus, i got to fix this. See, I, I, and maybe it's like my, my pastorly or husbandly or, or manly, or I don't know if we want to blame gender or vocation or whatever here, but, you know, like I feel like when, when I'm, not, I'm not being heard or I need to, like, explain, I always feel like I've got to go back and explain myself. That's the reason that sometimes I repeat myself like a hundred times in the sermon, and you're like, just play, we got it. Please keep moving. So if I'm Jesus, I'm like, whoa, uh, Thomas isn't here, uh, and, and I left without him. I got to go back, and I got I to gotta make sure that Thomas sees me because he, I know Thomas, he's going to be really, really worried. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus doesn't come back the next day either. Now, he knows that Thomas is doubting. He doesn't come back the next day, three days, four days, an entire week Thomas is left in his doubt, certainly worried, certainly bummed out, but all his friends, all of his colleagues, all, of the, all the people that he's been hanging out with for the three and a half years, they're celebrating, and he is in misery because he's filled with, with doubt and probably, quite frankly, guilt. Everybody else is happy. He's not happy. And Jesus lets him linger in his doubt for seven whole days. Now, to me, there's something profound in that. And listen, again, I know there are those of you here today who are experiencing and, and in the midst of a time of a doubt. And the reality is we, we see from the story of Thomas that sometimes God allows us to linger in doubt. He could have come right back. He could have made the correction. He could have appeared to, to Thomas, but he let Thomas have what had to be seven miserable, miserable days wrestling with his own doubts and, and, and fears and feeling inadequate because everybody else is rejoicing and he is not. But the good news is that Jesus does meet us in our doubt because he doesn't let this go on indefinitely. After the, the seven days, and it's, by the way, it's not like Jesus could only show up like once a week. I was like, oh, I'll be back next week, you know, because we know on the resurrection day he was showing up all over the place. So he didn't have some kind of restriction. He could have come to Thomas, but he didn't. He let Thomas linger in his doubt. But then, but then he met Thomas. He met Thomas in his doubt. Thomas has the opportunity to see Jesus face to face, to touch his hands, which was a big deal. Touching Jesus' hands, the, the place in which he had been uh, crucified and touching his side where the spear had gone in. And so he was allowed to have that experience, but he had to linger. He lingered in the doubt, and God allowed that. Jesus is not afraid of us doubting. He meets us in our doubt. You know, that might be explained in a number of ways, but in one way, you know, doubt does do some things for us. I mean, certainly doubt creates uh, interest. Uh, we are intrigued by mystery, uh, and there can be great mystery in, in doubt. 
when we don't know everything, it actually can encourage us to be thoughtful, to think about things, to reflect on things. And so sometimes, not only is, is, is uh, a doubt there for us, it can be helpful for us because it makes us turn our brains on. You know, sometimes I think as people of, of faith, and certainly as people of faith, we're accused of this, of not having our brains on, you know, just in neutral and just believing whatever anyone tells you to, to believe. That's not, I think, the kind of people that God is calling people of faith to be. God wants us to be thoughtful people, to be thinking of people, and doubt creates the, uh, the, the, the time, the opportunity for us to have to have our brains on. Is what I'm hearing true? Is this possible? I mean, you think about Thomas in those seven days. He had to wrestle with a whole lot of things, some existential questions. God wants our, our brains on, and doubt can create that interest to draw us in, that, 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 uh, that mystery. I mean, you think about the kind of relationships that you have with other people. Sometimes, you know, when you're, you're meeting someone new, there's, there's always doubt when you're meeting someone, someone new, whether it's going to be a significant other or a friend. You know, is this person trustworthy? Uh, is this someone that I can uh, re- rely on? Are our personalities going to, to match? And those doubts make you think and, 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 and create mystery. And it's then as you work through those doubts that you grow in relationship with each other. Is it possible that God is calling us into relationship with him? And sometimes that requires us going through uh, times of doubt. And that, that doubt is, is designed to help us to grow in relationship uh, with him. Uh, d- this doubt creates interest. Jesus allowed Thomas to doubt for seven uh, days. So we think of the, the concept of, of, or the nickname of, of uh, Thomas being a doubter as something of, of a negative doubting Thomas, but maybe Thomas's doubt is a positive. He was doubting Thomas. His brain was on. Thank goodness. He wasn't just taking what the, the others were, were, were giving him. He was thinking about it, and he didn't believe it first because it was indeed so outlandish. But over that week, as he wrestled with things, it, 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 it intrigued, and there was mystery, and Jesus showed up for him. We also see that ultimately Jesus wants to bring us to belief. So even though he might allow us to have times of a doubt, and listen, I know Thomas has was spent seven days in, in doubt. Some of you have been in doubt for far longer than that. Uh, some of you maybe uh, just have been wrestling with God and not sure where, where things are with you and him, and you have your doubts, and it seemed much longer than that. But ultimately, we can take heart that the story of Thomas tells us that Jesus wants to bring us to a belief. When he finally shows up to Thomas and allows Thomas to touch his hand and his side, he gives this great inv- invitation, stop doubting, start believing. Start doubting, stop doubting, start believing. Now, the, the word uh, doubt here is actually the opposite of the word belief. So it's really stop unbelieving and start believing. This is Jesus' invitation to Thomas. I'm here now. I'm present. You've had this a week where you've been wrestling with things, but now stop unbelieving and start believing. I'm here. I showed up. I'm, I'm, I'm present for you. Jesus calls us into belief. He doesn't want us to, to, to linger with, with doubts forever. I mean, if you're in a relationship where you're forever doubting of the person, that's not healthy. 
I mean, look, again, there's a time and a place for doubt, and doubt can be a very positive thing, and we should, we should encourage doubt, we should encourage thinking, but ultimately, God wants to bring us into belief. He wants us to be able to believe in him that his promises are, are true, and so he invites Thomas into belief. Stop unbelieving, start a believing. The good news here, too, is that Jesus knows something about believing uh, himself. This isn't something that he just is calling Thomas into. Jesus had to believe himself. We remember the, uh, the narrative of Matthew chapter uh, 26, and this happened uh, 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 a little time before the narrative, uh, actually over a week before the narrative that we're just reading. In Matthew chapter 26, we read about Jesus in uh, the garden the night before he's to die. And it says that going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He's, he's thinking about what he's going to go through the next day, that he's going to have to sacrifice his, his life in a, in, a, in a terrifying way. If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That's belief. Uh, Jesus himself had to believe. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. That entailed incredible belief. And so Jesus doesn't just blindly call Thomas to do something that even he couldn't do. Jesus had to believe himself. He had to believe that the father was going to do what he promised. And so when Jesus invites uh, Thomas to stop unbelieving and start believing, Jesus knew what that meant because he had to believe as well. This does leave us with uh, one other question. What, what role uh, do you and I play in this belief uh, process? What, what role do we play in this belief uh, process? And again, from the narrative, it's very clear. First of all, uh, don't give up. You know, in, if you're in the midst of a time of incredible uh, doubt, the message of the story of Thomas is don't give up. You know, Thomas didn't give up. He was there seven days later. Again, it had to be tremendously difficult. I mean, he spent those six days with his friends joyous and him not experiencing this and having a difficult time wrestling with the doubts that this, could this possibly be true, but he was there. He showed up. He was in the community so that when Jesus came back the second time, Thomas was there. He wasn't absent. He didn't take off. He didn't say, forget this. He didn't say, I'm going to give up. He was in unbelief. He was in doubt, but he was still in the community. He hadn't given up. If you're in the midst of a time of uh, doubt now, hey, take heart in the story of Thomas, and don't give up. Jesus wants to meet us in our doubts. What else do we do? What role do we play in this belief process? Well, again, the narrative is clear. Engage with the story of Jesus. In John chapter 20 and verse 30, at the end of the book, at the end of the story, just after what we read as our text of emphasis today, we read these words. Jesus performed, this is John now narrating what he's just described. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
But these are written, these things that are written in this book are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. John is saying, hey, look, the entire story of the gospel, the entire story of Jesus' work on our behalf is designed so that we can have belief. Jesus uh, meets us in our doubt, and as we engage with the story of Jesus, we can take heart and faith can start to grow within us. And that leads us to our, our, final, por- our final point. And that is, as we think about the faith experience, we have to recognize that Jesus is ultimately the one responsible for overcoming our doubt, for giving us faith. It's not something that you're going to do for yourself. You're not going to just get it together and, 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 and try really hard and belief is just going to pop into your brain. That it, it, It's God's work to bring a belief, to bring faith into your experience. Jesus gives us the spirit. You remember what he said in John uh, 20, just a few verses early in 22, and he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit, and as that Spirit embodies us, as that Spirit embraces us, then we have the capacity to have faith and our, our doubt that Jesus can do what He's called us to do, and that he's, that he's done what He wants to do for us, that doubt can fade away. Jesus meets us in our doubt, but wants to bring us into a belief. In John chapter 14, we meet, read more about this uh, spirit experience. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you be with, and be with you forever. And this is the spirit of truth. And he continues on in John chapter 16, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's going to give you faith. He's going to give you belief. He's going to help you. And so the idea is that Jesus is really going to become present for you like he did with Thomas. Star Trek style showing up in your apartment at night. First of all, that would freak you out. But he is going to be present. doesn't mean that he's, he's not going to be present for you. He just comes in the Spirit and that the Spirit engages us. And the Spirit of truth will come and he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. This is the message that Jesus is going to come to us through the Spirit. And finally, we read these words in the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, and it says this, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Remember, we said that the idea of resurrection and so many of the, of the great uh, things that we understand from Christianity are absurd. And without the Spirit, you're never going to not think they're absurd. But when the Spirit comes and, and lives in our experience, and when we meet Jesus through the, the Spirit, we have a new perspective on how the world works. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul is saying that as we allow ourselves to be open, as we wrestle with our doubt, and when Jesus meets us in our our doubt, we're we're open that God is able to, to, to meet us through his spirit. 
to be present to us. And God starts working inside of us and starts to build in us faith in which we do not, do not have of ourselves. And this faith allows us to be transformed so that we can have God's mind. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. God wants to do that in his people. God wants to do that in people of faith. He wants our brains to be on. He, he's okay with allowing us to have some doubt in our experience. And listen, the reality is that many of us will probably experience some levels of, of doubt until the Lord Jesus comes and the skies open up and then we're, oh! Yeah. Doubt is part of the journey and we need to recognize that and we need to be okay with that. Not only in our own experience, but in the lives of others. I mean, if somebody's experiencing doubt, by the way, in, your, in our community, God bless them. Don't judge them for their, for their, their doubt. Doubt means your mind is on. But the good news is that God wants to meet us in our doubt. God wants to take our unbelief and make it belief, and only He can do that. And so, as people who embrace God's work on our behalf, may we allow God to do in us what only He can do and to give us the mind of Christ. May we today have the mind of Christ and go forward in ever-growing faith in Him. Amen.